So this summer, I was talking to a kid around my age in New York City, knew nothing about ski racing, and he was fascinated with what I did on a daily basis. His biggest question was in regards to my sticks. And I was like, what sticks? The ones in the ground? Those are called gates. He said, no, the sticks you hold in your hands. What's the point of those? And I tried my best to explain that poles help with balance. But to someone who's never skied before, the idea that strapping a long stick to each hand somehow makes skiing easier, that was surprisingly hard to explain. So I stuttered for a while and finally tried to figure something out. But it just reminded me, ski racing and skiing uh, is not the whole world. (laughs) And I like to remember that sometimes. Gives you a little perspective. Anyway, let's do this thing. And we are back. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and welcome to Arc City. City is presented by Ski Racing Media, and this episode is sponsored by On Location. Also, a shout out to Sync Performance and the World Cup Dreams Foundation for supporting me this season. Today, we have Ryan Mooney, the ski technician for Paula Moulton, who is a very fast American tech skier. She has a couple of World Cup podiums and a gold medal in the team event at the World Championships. Our other guest is Bart Malin, the technician for AJ Hurt a young up-and-coming American tech skier who just snagged her first podium, and also Nina O'Brien, another fast World Cup tech skier who is currently returning from injury. Ask anyone in the ski world, Ryan and Bart are very good at what they do. They have a lot of knowledge and experience, and they're just fun to talk to. So, without further ado... Ryan Mooney, welcome to Arc City. Thanks for having us. And Bart, welcome to Arc City. Thanks for having us. Actually, what's your last name anyway? Mullen. Mullen, okay. Gotcha. Um, Bart, let's start with you. And I want to talk about, like, get people to know you first. From Belgium, you, uh, you are in the summers, you spend the summers being the piston chief for Snow Valley, which is the indoor Belgium area that's turned into, like, a training mecca for all the slalom skiers. Um, so is that kind of what got, like what got you into ski racing and then what got you into teching? Um, yeah, ski racing, my, my dad and my uncle, they, they boat raced. Mm-hmm. So I kind of grew up skiing and then I started racing as well. And where'd you um, ski in Belgium growing up? Uh, dry slopes to start with. And then oh really? My, like the plastic my, stuff? Yes. Okay. Like brushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upside down brushes. Like the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. But uh, <laughs> it was the only thing we could get, so. Yeah. And then my uh, my dad started the first commercial indoor slope in the uh-huh. world. So then I skied on indoor snow and obviously traveled, traveled a lot skiing. Um, yeah, quit skiing, coached for a couple of years, spend uh, about a year and a half with Sam Mays coaching him. Oh, okay. Yep. I didn't know that, actually. No. Um, and then he, uh, yeah, it got too expensive one-on-one. So yeah. he went to global, uh-huh. which left me without a job. And then Magnus Anderson called me. And, and uh, now as, uh, originally to be an assistant slash technician. Okay. But that changed to technician pretty fast. And so I you were coaching it. Sam Mays. I was coaching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, were you yeah. also his serviceman? Yeah. Okay. 
Gotcha. And his driver. Everything. And his strength and conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> no, that last one's a lie. So the, the team gained a, lot, gained a lot by getting you because you have this. Do you think it, it, it helps to have experience coaching while you're technically, like for AJ, you're the serviceman. Like, do you give AJ advice when, about on skiing or yeah. do you leave it to Magnus? No, yeah, sometimes you, you see, I mean, most of it I leave to Magnus as he's, he's, uh, he's a chief and yeah, he, uh, he's an amazing coach. But um, yeah, sometimes you see things and you, you talk about it. Yeah. But I think the biggest advantage of being a tech or for being a tech is that I used to race myself. Uh-huh. And same with, with Ryan. Everything we change on a ski, we know how it would feel like and what it does. Yep. So that's, that's a very big advantage, I think. Okay, cool. Well, we'll pick that up, but I want to get to Ryan, introduce Ryan. Um, Ryan, I went to high school with you. I like you were maybe two grades above me, three grades above me. Yeah. Well, you, you graduated? 2014, I think. Thir- okay. or maybe 13, 13. Okay. Um, and I remember you were an extremely fast skier, um, and you went to UVM uh, with Paula, who you dated at UVM. Now you're married to Paula. Uh, she's also your athlete, which is fun. Right? Like, um, and actually, let's just ask about that right now. Like, what's it like? I'm sure you get this question constantly, but what's it like tuning for your wife? And and like, is is if if she married you, does that mean that she married her? Like, she can't ever have another technician. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, I don't you know. You guys in this thing for life. I, I think probably, yeah. but the question did come up last spring. I will be honest; it came up last spring, so uh-huh. that was, it was kind of interesting. It was, uh, yeah. But she was pretty firm. She was like, "Nope." Someone, a brand, approached her and was like, "Yeah, would you? Do you want Ryan to be your service guy?" And she was like, "Yes, one hundred percent." So, okay, felt good. So That's I think cool. I'm in for life. That's cool. <laughs> you got a job. Yeah, I got a job. You for got life. some job security. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, and I guess to get to know you more, um. Like, when did you kind of switch from, like, ski racing to being a technician? And, like, where did that that passion come from? Yeah. I think it, it all came from GMVS, from from Todd Carroll at oh, GMVS. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, when I was there, I worked in the ski room, like, the first That's couple right. years I was there for, uh, like, scholarship hours. So, I would help out Todd. Learned how to prep skis and grind and like do all that. So I think that's kind of where that stemmed from. And at that time, like when I was skiing, I could tell that it like it made a difference. And I enjoyed it. Um, and then, yeah, I did two PG years and then on to UVM. And then I was like, I was pretty full on like racing the first two years. And then when Paula kind of started making her come back <clears throat> my third year at UVM, then I kind of like, I dropped off. I stopped training, <laughs> just went to the races thought it would work didn't really work started tuning more <laughs> yeah okay and then uh yeah i was kind of like i think i'll go full full tech mode with her because that was the only we had to do it that way because uh yeah she didn't want to have someone some random person with a bunch of kids tuning for her, so yeah no was, for uh, sure yeah it kind of it made sense it was bittersweet for sure to like be done skiing but felt like the right thing to do like one could re- one of us it felt like one could really succeed or too <laughs> yeah. mediocre you know yeah i could be living in vermont it'd be great but now i'm here you i always you... wanted to be on the world cup <laughs> yeah. there you go so You're, there you go between the two of you you guys are like our best bet for the world cup is paula let's put all our eggs in that basket and and you just started tuning and getting better at tuning and 
and suddenly you were just the guy for her has she had another technician or yeah she had well she had a few when she was on the ski team first like she was on the ski team for five years first before going to uvm Uh and she had two or three there a couple and one one like really good one um so that she always says that i'm just one step (laughs) below him (laughs) below mateo okay she says that's the only other service guy she'd ever have but okay yeah (laughs) oh Oh. bart maybe (laughs) i've heard her say if uh if i ever have to pick someone else than ryan if for some reason ryan could tune i'll let you tune my skis (laughs) there you go oh there you go (laughs) (laughs) um wait so um i'll ask you ryan then bart or bart you can just jump in whenever you feel like you just grab the microphone from him whatever if ryan's talking too much (laughs) but um before we get into the tuning, I just want to talk about the team you guys are part of because I dinner with you guys last night and it's a fun team and it's you guys have that momentum right now. Like AJ just went from bib thirty eight to third for first podium, first top ten even, first top fifteen also. Like yeah. a nuts race. She's obviously ripping. Um Paula's been throwing consistent top fives. She's even had runs where you think she's gonna win. Um and obviously, Michaela. Michaela's not here. She's not really part of this squad, but she's part of this momentum. Um, so, like, what's it like? Can you describe in some detail, or have you have any stories? Like, what's it like being tuning for that kind of momentum? And if it's different than tuning when everyone's like not skiing well, you know? Yeah, I think you're just you're excited to do it every day. It's yeah. like exciting to go to training and watch them ski fast. It's excited, exciting to tune for the rain. For, the race rather than you know you're like ah you're down in the trenches you're like ah just tuning for tomorrow yep uh going back to the hill it's just exciting i think because we are definitely a family yeah more so than a lot of other teams so it's cool yeah yeah i uh, i have to agree we're we're like one big family family away from from real family so no that helps and obviously when when the results are there then it's fun and when it's fun, it's easy. So mm-hmm. we don't we don't mind spending the extra hours. That's our job, and it's yeah, it's just fun. Yeah, it's, it's easy for sure. When when the athletes ski well and whatever you do works, it's it's not the toughest job. Yeah, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah, it helps. Well, and that actually brings to this. You mentioned family. So Bart, you have a a girlfriend and a kid at home, and I'm sure they miss you. And it's tough to be away from home um yeah 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 yeah. well obviously they miss me but my daughter never knew different so mm, okay i'm away in winter and then i make up for it in summer because i'm home quite a bit in summer and the same with the girlfriend when she met me i was i was away most of the winter so and i'm used to it as well mm-hmm. so i try to go home whenever i can a couple of days but actually winter flies by like it's january now and it's we have yeah Less than two months and it's over. Nice. Okay. Because I was I was interested in because you, you run Snow Valley in the summer, um, is like is this kind of being a tech, is that kind of a choice you've made? Like you're like, Oh, I could figure something out in the winter if I really really needed to be home, but tech like being a serviceman is kind of this passion that you kind of have to chase. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because yeah. if if I wanted to be home, I'd, I would be home and work at Snow Valley all year all year round. My dad's uh, seventy four, so it's about time he retires. But mm-hmm. he's very passionate about ski racing, 
and he loves me doing this. And for me, this is I've always wanted to be part of the World Cup, not on the World Cup because I raced a couple of World Cups, but never did second runs or whatever. And now we're I'm working with for me the best team in the world. So yeah, it's yeah living a dream. Yeah, I I I I understand that. And talking to people that I've met over the my years like in ski racing, I kind of realized that the being away from family is hard, but a lot of families understand that their their father or husband or wife who's away, like they're they're part of something exciting and they just kind of have to be there. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's just Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My my girlfriend knows that I'm this is this is my passion. Yeah. And yeah. And obviously, I mean, I make money with it. It's a job, but she knows it's my passion. And it was my goal in life to mean something in ski racing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, like I said, living the dream and she fully supports me doing that. That's cool. Well, now that we've kind of talked about, like, we, I wanted to get to know you guys a little bit for the audience and establish, like, it's a cool thing what you're doing and you're passionate about it. Um but I want to get into the nitty gritty details of tuning. And so for the people out there, the young kids, I grew up tuning. <laughs> I grew up tuning thinking that you were supposed to, um, you know, file like 10 times and then take a hundred diamond stone and just go at it as hard as you could. Just push into the edge. And then once you were done with that, take the 200, push into the edge as hard as you could. 400, 600, 1500. And... <laughs> And nothing else. And that was just going to make a, like a really fine edge because you'd work through all the diamond stones. I didn't know what a hanger was. I didn't know why my skis felt horribly aggressive. I didn't know that you had to pull second edge. I didn't even know what second edge was. And so it would slowly get in the way of the edge. For anyone listening, please look up second edge because if you don't know what it is, it, it's really important. But basically, it's a piece of metal next to the edge. And if you don't use the special tool to remove that, every time you tune, the edge gets below the second edge. Stop me, guys, if I'm saying anything no, no, wrong. No, 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 no. Um, and and slowly your ski will start to turn from a three degree to a two degree. And so it's just getting duller and duller, even though you think you're still tuning it. So <laughs> I had all this shit to work through, um, all of these mistakes. Um, Ryan, are there any mistakes you see kids? Actually, before we do the mistakes, I just want to talk about tuning. Like... For someone out there, can you walk us through a basic, like five-step, how to tune a ski if they just have hand tools? Yeah, I think you start. You started with the first most important step: check to uh, make sure you got the second edge or the sidewall material, like away from the edge, like because they always down, you got to pull it down below, a bit, which is a edge. special tool, and it's it's a fine it's a fine skill to do. Usually the first couple of times it goes tuck, 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 and you got a nice little wave track next to your edge, but you'll get better at it, yeah. but pull that material away. And you don't pull too hard, right? No, let when the you're tool pulling do the work. The tool yeah. does the work. Yeah. Otherwise that was you'll a get the chatter yeah, exactly. marks. That was yeah. my uh, best piece of advice I ever got. Let the tool do the work. Don't mm -hmm. push down on it, especially not on a sharp tool. Just let, just pull it towards you nice and gently. So you mm -hmm. get the material away and then yeah, start with the file, file the edge down short, 
short pulls with the file is best. Okay. Oh, Common really? Conception. I, I, I always, always do long pulls. I mean, you can vary the length for sure. But I mean, when I was a kid, for sure, I put it on in the tip and then pulled it all the way back to the tail and ran backwards. Got all the way to the back of ski and was like, oh, perfect. But the middle never got sharp because there was no pressure. Yeah. I, I feel like the longer your pull is, the more chance there is of filing getting between your file and your edge. Okay. And that, uh, and that little piece that creates just a creates a burr, so burr you go along a your short edge. one, release, and then... Like take the stuff any, off yeah, of it and again yeah so short short files definitely good or you know maybe a, a foot long or something you know short files yeah and then yeah if a stone is good definitely uh i, I don't use too many stones 600 like, 1000 like the, the the most aggressive grit you would ever use is probably 600, 600 yeah and you even when that's use... even when that's new it's aggressive okay yeah okay that's but really definitely important. the the you know i had the black 100 diamond moonflex diamond stone forever as a kid I always thought that was the best thing ever but <laughs> yeah. like you pushed as hard as i could yeah <laughs> I, I still have one one of those in my uh in my little set over there but you, you never use it no, no. It's cute. so yeah file diamond stone you can put the diamond stone on the file guide clean it up a little bit if you want to but then most important is definitely like along the base edge to get rid of that that hanger Mm -hmm. And for those that uh, don't know what that is, you know, you, you pull the edge and you make it really sharp, but there's always, you leave like a little, a like curl, a little overhang. An overhang. Yeah. yeah. If you put your nail flat on the base and then pull it up along the base to the edge there, you'll see it. It'll catch. And you want to get rid of that catching point. That's really the biggest thing. So take your, yeah, a stone, a, a fine one, you know, 1000 or 600 works and just put it flat against the base. The mm -hmm. easiest way when you're yeah, getting used to just it. getting it flat kind of on the base and lightly just run it up the base and that'll get rid of that overhang. And then as you get better, you can put it back on the on the side again too and mm -hmm. you know give it a one more polish if you want to make it sharper. But sorry, I uh, I think the the biggest mistake is or mistake when an edge is sharp, it's sharp. Yeah, like I I see I've I've seen dads or parents of kids tuning and it's just by with every extra pull they do it's dollars dollars flying off the ski yeah because they sharp is sharp you and don't need to do too much extra no like no. if you've done the second edge and you do a couple of pulls with a with a clean good file yeah if the edge is nice sharp. and clean and and the file is grabbing maximum then it's a couple pulls and it's sharp yeah clean it up with a diamond file and I also think one one big thing that's really important. You don't need the most expensive tools, but having a good fresh file is the yeah. most important. And they're not expensive, so when you get, don't just buy one file for the season. Get ten of them, because when the file is sharp, it works so well. And yep. as you probably know, a dull file is the most frustrating thing in the world. And you cut your hand. Yeah. I, everyone's yeah. got scars on their hand from that. Yeah. But, <sighs> slip off. Have you guys had any really bad cuts? Not super bad. I mean, definitely bad enough that there's been band-aids for a you know, few weeks falling off every time you put your glove on. And they probably should have been stitches or something. Probably should have been, <laughs> but not for a long time. You know, Nothing crazy. I, not. I think I've, I've had stitches four years ago. Yeah, yeah it was a stupid mistake. Yeah. yeah, right around here, actually. Do you guys wear gloves when you tune? I should have because I was, I was polishing sidewall on a ski that was sharp. And I wasn't wearing gloves. And I was a little bit tired and I slid off and yeah yeah four stitches 
Yeah. Yeah, I think we both wear gloves just when uh when prepping like new skis. And you're just going aggressively on the sidewall or when, yeah, yeah, when you're moving along the sidewall or moving along the edge with something to sand it down. Mm-hmm. But actually tuning, no, because we both use a machine, so we're not too pressure too much pressure on the edge. And also like I I want to be able to feel the edge at any point. Yeah, like, exactly. Feel it up a little. So when you're tuning gloves. And if are you off, have to glove up, glove on, glove it. But to the kids out there just starting, your your hand will probably slip with the file at some point. So the kids should definitely kids should wear gloves. Wear gloves. Well, at least yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you can always, yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't care if your friends make fun of you. Just do it. No, no, no. Yeah, safety yeah. first. Yeah, safety first. Um, so I'm curious uh, about any like some stories you guys have had. Actually, Bart, I heard this one story about how Nino Brian. Um, Nina's been crushing it lately. She, um, she's currently out because of injury, but she was, was this, I think it was world champs. She had an awesome run. She was sitting in second place. And, uh, what, what happens is for those who don't know, after a skier finishes, you click off your skis and they test them for various measurements and, and like the stack height was off, right? Yeah, she was, uh, <coughs> excuse me. She was 0.02 too high. Zero point. So so the, the maximum so is two hundredths of a millimeter. Yes. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, minimal. Um. Yeah, she had she had an amazing run. Skied right into second, and I get a phone call from uh, the Rossi guy, the head of uh, race department, and I thought it was to say how well she done she she done. So I was like, this was awesome, wasn't it? Is that you got to come down? We have a problem. No way. I'm like, oh my god. So I like. Magnus texts me as well. She's like, "Ah, uh, she's too high. You gotta come down." I'm like, "What? What? What?" Like, obviously, it was yeah, roller coaster of emotions. I zip up my my backpack, which had a couple of cans of Red Bull uh, in that I stole at hospitality. I took at hospitality. <laughs> They're free to take. I always do that. Yeah. <laughs> as as I zip up my back, my quite yeah, quite quite aggressively because it was a little bit angry. So I zip up my bag, and my screwdriver punctured one of the cans. So I had a full can of Red Bull spraying straight in my face <laughs> before I was keying down to try and uh, resolve the problem we had. So yeah, that was uh, that was amazing. Gives you a little um, extra, extra energy, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like people were, like, oh, "Are you crying?" Was no, it's tears of Red Bull. Tears <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull. One someone will give you wings. <laughs> um, no, and I get down there, and what it was because we always check the skis, and maybe back in the days it was a little more on the limit. Meaning that I would I would go to like forty nine low, mm-hmm. but that only leaves you point seven of a of a centimeter mm-hmm. as a buffer of a millimeter. And and, a, and a for the people yeah. who don't know, it's they're measuring basically the distance from the base of the ski to where you click into the binding. So yeah, the, the highest, height, the highest point that your binding. boot is off the snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, it turned out that um, it was an older pair of bindings. And the thread on one of the screws screws popped up a little bit. So it was mm. totally fine, but we had to screw it back in very strong. We needed to call in uh, some Viking power. Oh, was it was, it, it was a quite aggressive screwing in from what I've heard. Very aggressive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Because the screw was hard to budge and you had to get that yeah, screw yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. lower. Yeah. 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 It was. Uh, yeah. Magnus. Magnus did it there. He uh, used his. Viking power. And now a message from On Location. What are you doing next summer? 
How about an unforgettable trip to the Olympic Games Paris 2024? Let us plan your perfect trip to watch the world's best athletes from premium seats with exclusive access to hospitality lounges in the stadium, along with tailored accommodation, tours, and more. Visit hospitalitytravelpackages.paris2024.org for more info. Um, and it are like, have you had any other moments like that where it's not really your fault? Maybe it's just like the screw popped up. But are there any moments where you, it's you, you know, if you feel like you've messed up or something like that? Yeah, I have. A, I have a tendency of spicing things up at World Champs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last year at World Champs, Nina skied her first run, and um, yeah, it looks like she didn't have grip in one turn, like all the way down. She finished in 29 after first run. I was like, what, what the hell did I do wrong? Like, so I go back to the, to the ski room, um, touch up skis in between runs, and as I unstrap the skis and I put them on my bench, there, it looked like she hit a rock or a screw from a, from a gate. The whole edge was gone. It was all bird. Oh. So, yeah, that was. Um, and was but that was something that happened in the course. It, it happened wasn't. In, no, no, it's not. Well, it's, it's not because of me. You didn't send her in. No, with those no, 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 yeah. no, no. It happened in the course. Uh-huh. But obviously, it was like at the, the first ten gates. So she, she, yeah, was struggling the whole way down. Oh, that's tough. And then we, yeah, we, we, or I took. I think I took another pair. Took another pair. She and then second run, she was second and ended up ninth. I think so. Yeah, that was. But it's always something, something small happening. Yes, yeah. I don't know. It's such. Uh, it's a game of hundreds of a millimeter. Really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you, if you, for example, look at Levy, where they snow farm, every year there's girls hitting rocks, like small little rocks. And oh, everything. because they make a bunch of snow and they just shove it onto the course. Yeah, they keep it over summer, so there's always there. little frozen sand or whatever. Oh. And whenever you hit that, the, the edge is gone, and then. Interesting. But that's that's not within our power. Like. Yeah. I can assure you the skis are always perfect before they get out of the out of the start. Yeah. Sometimes that's a challenge too cuz I've I've been at World Cup starts where there's like full of rocks everywhere because of oh, the lack of snow. Yeah. And yeah. it's crazy to me like I've had a burr before and the difference between having an edge that is completely perfect and an edge that on maybe an inch of the edge it has like a um some tiny burr. Yeah, you feel that it. edge you feel it. every single turn yeah, yeah, you just yeah. feel it pushing yeah, away yeah. from you there's, there's yeah. no grip it, it yeah. can be this much and you feel it yeah definitely so uh, yeah it's crazy ryan have you had any um like experiences that like put your heart in your throat like uh, that oh that's every day watching watching your wife push out of the star <laughs> gate for sure Leon's <laughs> 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 was good for me Ah, yes, that was good. This actually just happened recently. My most most notable story uh, before the first run in Leon's two weeks ago, uh, I had left. I brought the race skis, brought a pair of skis for inspection, warm up and race skis all up at the same time in the morning. And I brought them up. I put them, put the race skis on my backpack and then I had Paula's jacket over the top of my backpack on the race skis. So they were, it was really packed in together. And then uh, we went down for inspection. I get like halfway down the course and there's two German technicians on the side that we're friends with yelling my name, like Ryan, 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 stop, stop, stop. I'm like what? Like thinking they just want to joke about something. And he's like, yeah, a bit of an issue. Uh, somebody took your race skis. I was no like, way. what? No way. You got to be kidding me. I was like, they're kind of in my backpack underneath Paula's clothes. Yeah, but 
yeah, someone took your race keys and uh, they might have used them for the warm up. <laughs> I was like, what? They have tape. There was four straps and tape around the strap. So I was like, they took the tape off and used them for the warm up. Like, I'm not sure, but just maybe be prepared. No way. Turns out they didn't use them for the warm up. So that was good. But uh, yeah, my but someone took them. My heart was really racing. Yeah, someone took them uh and brought him down and then i didn't see him for a little while and then someone brought him down to uh our strength and conditioning coach and he brought him back around for me they were untouched but i was definitely nervous wait this is wild <laughs> so, someone whoever did it like it's hard it's hard to go to the wrong backpack with the wrong coat with with three skis that you probably know are not yours totally yeah because like it has letters on there and the skis were actually definitely different than what this girl is using do they but, say uh, paula molson on them? they say pm and her initials definitely weren't pm but you know i guess mistakes happen but it was i was who, do you uh, know who took them i actually don't know her name it's a young girl on the german team she's i don't think she's on the german team but uh she was invited for that world cup after good well, we don't need to incriminate her we don't here, need to but... incriminate her i don't think it was her fault i think it was more the physio that was with them's fault because he was like oh i think those are your skis over there and then he grabbed them and then he oh, took them. okay but, there's uh, no foul play involved i don't think so but it was very stressful michaela wasn't worried paul was gonna beat her just kidding just <laughs> kidding i don't i don't think they i don't think the guy did it on purpose but yeah, yeah that was definitely the most angry i've been uh, during course inspection sliding down the course paula was very i was trying to keep my cool but then she realized like That's what's wrong easy like, someone stole your skis what wow yeah and then uh yeah then the joke after that from one of the german technicians was that he was gonna steal the skis before every first run just so <laughs> she really went hard first run <laughs> did she have a good run there yeah she was second after the first oh, run. oh yeah. okay yeah. maybe that's what she yeah. needs yeah no. maybe could be good i hate when people do that yeah when that's one thing happens they're Seriously. like we should do that every yeah. single race <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i wore this one so i wore the socks on the opposite feet i'm gonna wear them every time like that <laughs> no i gained 20 kilos okay <laughs> for the sport <laughs> <laughs> so no, no crazy <laughs> moments for me but that was about the craziest but yeah definitely plenty of times where you're like ah maybe it was me so okay yeah you know like too sharp not sharp enough so i actually speaking of that do you have any super superstitions i mean bart said that eating a pizza and a beer before race is your superstition uh, I, I I usually get a couple of beers before a race. Okay. Like I'm not getting drunk, but just to just to get you in the flow of things. Yeah, get yeah. the edge off. So I'm so I'm not super nervous. Yeah. That's actually that's really after, important. That's after tuning though. Yeah, yeah. After, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. After we're we're done tuning, then um, no beer before race. No. No. Yeah. And then we have a couple like beers in the ski room just to like mellow down and. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned though, like being not anxious in the start. And I think that's huge because as an athlete, you wouldn't believe like, I mean, you guys would believe, but like how I can like in inspection, when I'm talking to my coach, I'm like, he's so nervous for me. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not that nervous, but it's just weird when you can feel your coach or if you're in the start gate and your technician, you can just tell your technician is nervous. That doesn't help. No, it's it's the worst <laughs> thing yeah. you could do. Like, like you guys are the vibe yeah. people in the start. I do get nervous, but I'm apparently i'm very good in hiding it yeah that's that's all that matters yeah i'm yeah. sometimes i tell them afterwards like that was very nice <laughs> oh, i didn't i didn't know yeah but that's all that matters is no, that you, like yeah, you that, provide yeah just the, the last calmness thing you want around start. when you're ready yeah. to, to start to have a couple of nervous people around you yeah yeah 
you know, we, we're, I feel like we're pretty good about that. Uh-huh. Like with it, I appreciate the, the cheering from the other people that come in and out of our team, but it's the start should be the same every time. So yeah, just I think the it should be. and the technician. That's the smart. You do that thing. Yeah, that's smart. Cause I mean, even if someone's there with very good intentions, cheering you on, you're still, you always, you know, it is, you, you hear it. And yeah. Brain, like, you hear it. Oh, it's out, it's person? out of the ordinary. They're, they're yeah. not usually yeah, there. Like yeah. Do you guys ever, can you, when you're clicking someone in, can you kind of just, or if they're warming up in the start, can you feel, oh, today is going to be a good day or they're way too nervous or they're distracted? Yeah, for sure. 100%. I feel like you can, I, maybe I have more of a unique well, I mean, relationship. You're married to your athlete. Bad sleep. Oh man. <laughs> I feel like usually a bad sleep is better. Really? Yeah. I don't know, but it, that seems more of like a pattern. Interesting. But uh, you can definitely, 100%, you can totally tell. And I feel like you can definitely, maybe harder to see how nervous somebody is. Because sometimes nerves, are like a, a, the right amount of nerves are is good. Yeah, exactly. Like you're excited. Yeah. I've had sleepless nights where it just feels like I'm a little bit on edge. But because I, I then I wake up like ready to go. Sharp. Sharp. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's not sustainable for like a four-day Noram series, but for one race, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're not racing Tour de France. No, 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 I agree. I, yeah. Nothing to add there. Uh-huh. Some, or actually, maybe a little. <laughs> no, Come on, Ad. No, yeah. like, maybe sometimes when you when you sleep a little less or a little, like, not an, not an amazing sleep, mm-hmm. like you say, you wake up and you're like, I don't know, on edge. Like if you, yeah, if you, if, you, if you got really deep sleep for nine hours, you kind of, it takes you a while to get out of that. Oh, sometimes. for me, then yeah. I'm, I'm personally, then I sleep for the rest of the day while yeah. I'm awake. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other things I wanted to get to were um, tuning myths. Like, I feel like there's so many, for example, people have told me, you hot scraping is a good thing where you wax a ski and you immediately scrape it. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's good if you want to clean your base. Okay. If so you it's do not it one- bad for no, the ski. No, you do it once. Okay. For me, the biggest myth is people that say you got to hot wax your skis like 10, 20 times before you get them on snow. Because uh-huh. after one time, the base is saturated. If you don't ski, it's just a waste of wax. Maybe twice. Yeah, maybe twice with a, with a very, very good very. brushing session in between. But that's about it. Uh-huh. There's people like getting new skis, wax scrape, wax scrape. But when you From scrape, third, yeah. right, you, you're not getting all of the wax out of the ski that skiing on it would. Yeah, exactly. So you're basically just waxing and scraping yeah, yeah. and nothing's changing. It's a big waste of time and money. Okay. Yeah. It's good to know because I was told wax the ski five times before you ski on it. No, I wouldn't no. do that. No, <laughs> I don't think Ryan would either. No, no, no. But I, I remember a childhood coach yeah. of mine always said the same things. Like you got to do first two coats with the yellow wax, the soft wax, so it goes in real deep, and then do two with the red wax, so it goes in, you know, a little bit goes in there, but it's still, you know, it's getting harder. And then do like five coats with CH six blue wax. We get really hard. <laughs> like, yeah, now I'm at nine coats of wax here before i get out on snow tomorrow that seems a bit aggressive and then you go out on snow ski the first time they come back and they look like casper the ghost they're white again yeah like what why did i do all that waxing (laughs) but it takes time yeah i I think maybe on on speed skis it's a little different where you want to have like 
the warm wax to penetrate it deeper and then ski them and then harden the base up a little bit. And then at the end, you're probably going to have create a ski that's more for harder, colder uh, snow mm -hmm. and one for warmer, which with a different structure, but also the waxy. Okay. So yeah. I think in tech waxes, it, it helps, but it's very minimal. Yeah. Like in slalom, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm 99% sure people have won World Cups on the slalom ski with either liquid wax or training wax. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, almost, it matters almost nothing. In, no. In, no, especially nowadays for slalom skis. Unless you're at Proctor. If you're like waxing slalom skis with an iron, the skis, they, they bend. They're so thin, so they, it, it infusion. This is important to talk about. We can cut that one. <laughs> yeah. No, that's important to talk about, though, because yeah. I know, like, um, I like a lot of skis would like they start to get cupped like the tip of the ski the more and more you wax it like it gets a kind of dimple right in the tip yeah, yeah. um so you are you you're basically saying you liquid wax as much as you can Sla until yeah, until skis. they start to get kind of burnt i guess if no we whenever we have a couple days that we don't ski slalom we'll probably wax them hot mm -hmm. wax them with a with a roller not with an not iron. even an iron no an iron is too warm and it, it's yeah wow GS skis you'll wax with an iron though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. Oh, really? No iron. No. Just the roller. No, uh, I. Maybe people are not gonna love this when I say this, <laughs> but I don't even own an iron. Really? Wow. I threw it away the last time I was at a Super G race. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be around Super. Straight G in the anymore. trash. Yep, in the trash. I dropped it first, so it wasn't really working That's that funny. well anymore. No. Wait, let's explore this though. That your hate, hatred for speed. Is this? A, is this? Like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this because a lot of technicians like speed because they have a bigger impact on skiing on, on the speed Yeah. that people yeah, yeah, No, True. No, I, I don't hate speed. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be a tech around speed. Cause I'm, I'm afraid athletes get hurt. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's my only reason. Yeah. I would never tech for speed. Yeah. And, and I also prefer watching tech. Yeah. Does it feel like people get hurt more often these days or has it always been this much? I think it's always I mean, people or skiers always got hurt, but nowadays, and then again, in like in slalom or GS, you can crash 10 times without walking, walking away without an injury. Yeah. In speed, if you crash, there's always a 50% 50, 50 chance. You're, you're going to do a knee or a leg yeah, yeah, or something. Or something, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I just, I was, I was around Nina when she had her bad accident at Olympics. And right there, I told myself, I do never want to see this again. Yeah. Like, I was I was in shock. I've been I've been working with the girls for six years now. They're they're like my children away from home. Yeah, I, I care about them like I care about my daughter. And seeing something happening, I I could never never see that again. Yeah, that was gruesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, um, Ryan, you ever had a like a a desire to to tech for speed? Mm, not really. Yeah, I like. I would say I'm more more tech. Yeah, it's like speed is more. It's not as exciting. I don't think on a day to day either, because like you go and train speed, you see like two turns and like that's it. You go to slalom training, it's like I get to watch. You get to watch everybody ski the whole entire course. It's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and I feel like I can relate more. I skied a little bit of speed when I was young, but not. I I can relate more to slalom and GS too, which feels feels good. I also feel like. Yeah, we have more influence on. On yeah. the tech skiing. Yeah. 
I'm interested, and and so because like in tech, a lot like the edge. I do think it's easy. It could be easier for sure. It'd be less skis, you know. Like Speed. You don't, you don't yeah, break. You don't like, ski you don't as break much. Three pairs of Super G skis every week when you're. And that's what you do with slalom skis. I mean, a lot of the time, for sure. You yeah. go through streaks, you know. Yeah. I, I don't think they spend less time in the ski room than we do, but it's mm-hmm. it's just different. It's yeah. more more repetition. Same thing: waxing, waxing, waxing. Yeah. Scraping. While a lot we, of brushing. We, yeah, and we get like 30, 30 to thirty-five new pairs a year to prep. Oh, wow. where where speed skis you want to keep them as long as you can because yeah. they're fast. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. I think it. For me, it, it seems boring. Also, like Ryan said, watching the same couple turns for like a couple runs, and then the ra- there's a lot of waiting too at the races. A lot of waiting. That's why I don't like speed. I mean, I love the act of going fast, but everything it takes is just so much waiting. Yeah, I, I like to go fast too. It's not because I don't want to be around speed that I don't like to go fast, but it's yeah. And I can relate more to tech skiing too. Like I did a couple of downhills back in the days, but was very afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, and you guys are focused more on the edge and it's been wild to me to explore how much of a change in the feeling an edge can have just on tiny things. Like I would, I used to tune and I would hit the edge with a finishing pass, the lightest touch with a um, ceramic stone. And I was like, why are my edges so aggressive? And I stopped doing that one thing because some technician said, yeah, you know, a light pass with the ceramic stone does a lot more than you realize. Yeah. And I stopped doing it. And that was the like one thing I needed to change my edge. And it's probably on a microscopic level that things are changing. Yeah, that, that is true. Especially with the nowadays, there's a lot of machines being used for, uh, for tuning the edges. Uh, Ryan and I, we use machine. They're still hand tuning too, but um, I think it's all like, it's very personal. I think I Ryan agrees if I can say that we kind of tune eighty percent the same, eighty five. Um, but everyone has this personal little finish, and with the ceramic, I'm afraid of using a ceramic. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to fuck up a perfect ditch with with one pass with a ceramic. So I never use it. But it's yeah, it's nowadays it's just in the fine tuning, the finishing. It's all about the finishing, and my and that's my opinion. Yeah, um, you can use whatever machine or hand tune. Yeah, if the finishing is bad, it, you can have a seven thousand dollar machine. It's not going to help you. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people finish a little bit different, and that's why the very small difference are uh, differences are noticeable or made. Yeah, and and then as we talk about this same subject, Ryan, do you do different finishes for different types of snow? Like that's yeah. a big yeah. thing I've been trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah, I was actually just thinking the same thing. But yeah, it's, it's definitely that's uh i feel like that's something that i'm personally getting more comfortable with is like knowing the night before like this is gonna work i know it's gonna work and because you know because you know what the snow is gonna be because i know what it's gonna be like but i think that's a big thing you know we talked about earlier from being a racer like you can you can inspect the course and slide down the snow and be like oof, man like it's gonna be catchy today for sure Mm -hmm. like you know they it the ice is like injected and it's slick and need like really sharp edge or like maybe it's injected and but you've got those like groomer tracks in between like so I th- yeah the finish is it's everything yeah okay. but I, I think that we're both getting better at that 
and gummying. I mean, gummy. for those who don't know what a gummy is, it's like a, I mean, yeah, it's basically like a, a almost squishy stone that you take to your edge to take down the. Yeah, like a piece of rubber, pretty much. It's a piece of rubber, yeah. and it it takes down the edge, and you know, usually you'll do it on the tip and tail. And I I yeah. think like, I guess your standard tune probably involves a little bit of taking down with the gummy on the tip and tail. Yeah, always for sure. Like where the ski sits flat on the snow, I think that that part of the edge should be sharp. But you know, up in the the tip of the, the ski, curve. where the curve where it comes off the snow. There's there's no reason to have that sharp because and same with the tail in the back when it rises up a little bit you want that dull just in case if something happens you crash or you get in a weird position you don't want the tip or the tail to catch you know think about those classic like Bodie moves where he's like smacking yeah. the tip off the snow if that was sharp and you know catches so definitely always take the tip and the tail off and then uh, you know leave it sharp the night before when you tune and then the next day when you get up there on the hill you're like oh it's a little grabby and then you can have that gummy stone and take a little off because i think even on the iciest of days like it helps to take a little bit off the tip sometimes so it doesn't grab as fast yeah are there any uh divisions among among the technicians of the world cup of like i do things this way like the, the kind of like the iron versus the not iron um are there any of those where there's just like two two groups yeah i, th I think i think maybe hand tune and machine okay yeah, I, I think it, it's like i consider myself even though I'm, I'm close to being 42 years old i consider myself a young tech and i think it's more so that like old generation and newer generation mm. um also with machine and hand tune but like older generation they they would yeah they they would wax with a with an iron they say a roller is lazy mm -hmm. but same with machine ah machine's lazy no it takes more time to machine a ski than hand file but it's it's just the way you're used used to doing things and i think it's there's a couple of younger techs coming up and it's it, yeah yeah new new generation i don't know mm -hmm. we're a little more open about things too like we don't, i don't yeah. have any secrets uh, like Norwegian Tech can walk in here and and ask me what do you do, how do you tune, and it's no secret. That's interesting because you know people like to compare, or, or people have been watching more F one recently, and they like to compare it to ski racing and whatnot. And a big part of F one is not giving away your secrets. So maybe like the ski com the ski manufacturers don't give away their secrets, but. You guys, as technicians, you don't have much to hide. We hide five percent, I would say. Okay, I'm. I'll. I'll tell pretty much anything, but the five percent. Interesting. Ryan so what's, knows so tell us the five percent. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of the record, I will. <laughs> yeah, it's five percent. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe not. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I think it's also like you can tell someone comes in. They're like, "How do you finish the edge? Can you show me?" Like, sure, I'll show you, but they're probably not going to be able to replicate it the same exact way you're doing it anyway. So yeah. why hold the back? Yeah. Why, why have them ask that question and say, no, get out. No, I'm not going to show you what I'm doing. Yeah. Like you're close to me, For sure. but it might not work for them. Yeah. You know, different brand, different tuning, uh, different machine, different stones. Mm -hmm. So, I, and so speaking of the kind of the technician community, uh, something I've noticed is you guys are probably the two of the more normal 
ski technicians I've come across. <laughs> like it, it's an interesting job. You're you're constantly on the road. You're constantly packing up. You 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 know it's just a it's a very unique lifestyle. And I think there are some people that stick with it. And the people that stick with it sometimes are a little bit they're just characters. They're curmudgeons. They're characters. They yeah. Um, and you, I, I guess I don't really have a question there. I just, you guys I think, realize No, no, that... I, I think Bart and I were actually talking about this the other day. And that's like another reason that makes our team unique is that we're so involved as like part of a family to the girls, to the coaches. You're like, invested like emotionally. In, emotionally. In the community. And with the community. And maybe not to say, not knocking on other techs, but just the way the style and the the job has always been is that maybe the technicians are a little more separated from the team. You know, you, they tune the skis, they get a couple of days off, they go home, hang out with their family, which is fine. I totally respect that. But you know, I'm on the road with Paula where, whenever she's traveling and Bart's on the road, you know, he's, you can't really drive home to Belgium at, for a weekend. So he's with us. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, I think we bring you good energy. Yeah. 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 People notice that at the start sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tend to get loud after a good run. I'm very, very, very bad in hiding my emotions. Because <laughs> you're watching that TV up at the start. Oh, yeah. yeah you yeah. see AJ have a good run. Uh, and then you're just fist pumping. Or... In Crunch K, yeah. yeah. I uh, dropped a couple F-bombs. Yeah, I think everyone at the start knew AJ had a good run. Yeah. No doubt. And maybe like halfway through the hill. So <laughs> that was very loud. No, so, what Ryan was saying is like, we are very involved with our athletes. Where, and then maybe I'm saying this again, repeating myself, like the older generation, it's more of a like a, a nine to five, not a nine to yeah, five. But, but it's, you clock in and clock out. Yeah, it's their job. Yeah. And if their athlete doesn't perform, they're like, fuck, maybe I'll miss my bonus at the ex end of the season. Because mm -hmm. you bonus on prize money or whatever yeah if if aj or nina or even paula who's not my athlete like doesn't ski well or was in a good position and blows it I, i'm i feel bad for them yeah. like maybe i'm too emotional that way but i'm like very i want the best for all those girls yeah i'm and sure they appreciate that too yeah yeah but i i and i think it's it's the other way around too they mm -hmm. They they don't see me as just their technician, like I'm yeah part of the the team family. I would say yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And along that same vein, I've I've kind of noticed at races and stuff, training, it feels like athletes talk to athletes, coaches talk to coaches, and techs talk to techs. And it sometimes like it's crazy the number of technicians and, and coaches that are on the Noram circuit with me for five years that I never even know their names and don't even realize that they're there. Like it's such a, don't you, I mean, I don't know if you guys experience this, but maybe it's different in the world cup, but sometimes there's just like these hierarchy. different, maybe a hierarchy and maybe just like people like only talk to their, um, like peers. I, yeah. But I, I feel like most of the time technicians or I'm talking for myself, we're the buffer between the athletes and the, and the coach and the coach uh -huh. like the, the coach obviously does all the on-hill work and the video and whatever but if it if they're not skiing well and you drive from one location to the other you got to talk to the athlete for maybe seven eight hours yep so yeah 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah you, you can, you can, you yeah. can talk about it better for two hours, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, also boring. like at races, like with other teams, does it feel like you talk to a lot of athletes on other teams or are you mostly talking to technicians? I, I would say mostly technicians and then coaches, but it, I think it's, it's more open than yeah. it used to be. What do you more think? And I feel like we're, we're a little bit maybe breaking that mold or yeah. trying to, I don't like know. It we feels like you guys kind of people. do. We're, yeah. We're Not yeah. to say that like it shouldn't, the coaches aren't better or worse, but I think everybody can talk to each other. I think it yeah. also it, it helps for us that we were racers and we're more involved with the team. So we also talk like we don't just talk about edges that night. We talk about how someone's skiing or technique or and it, yeah. it interests me, interests Bart. So I think it's valuable to talk about that and to be able for to sure. go comfortable to go to any coach and talk yeah. about somebody's skiing. Yeah, but it, it's it's also like mm -hmm. technicians are always in the same position. We're at the start or we we're watching from the same part, and mm -hmm. then the coach is somewhere else. So yeah, we like, usually always something to complain about yeah yeah the technicians complain <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the job it's like what's one of the biggest complaints i don't know today was a beautiful day it was amazing training it's kind of cold huh <laughs> <laughs> awesome day yeah kind of cold <laughs> wish the coaches parked far away and we could have parked right next to the hill that would have been nice three less steps <laughs> <laughs> just a topic of conversation park huh? in a good spot we're like, I'm a champion of complaining about little things, but half of the time I don't mean it. So. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Well, we're uh, we're actually nearing the end of our time here. Oh. Um, but just I just getting know. warmed up. I know. Yeah, yeah. It feels it. Yeah, it starts to go, huh? Right when you get going. Um, so I guess, did you guys have any stories where you're like, wow, that's a great story. I want to tell it, or advice to people, or anything like that. You can start. I have a lot of stories. I stories. I need to think which ones are. Uh, we could do an extended episode. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to be a couple extra minutes on the end. I think biggest advice for people tuning for kids, ski racing dads, moms tuning, keep it simple. Keep it simple. It's very easy to go into the ski shop, and you know, there is some very knowledgeable people around in ski shops, but there's plenty of them that'll get you to buy. 18 different waxes the iron the all the stones yada 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 like keep it simple get a file get a couple stones get liquid wax that unless you're on the world cup you, or europa cup you really you know you don't really need to worry about it so keep it simple for yourself and uh fresh file fresh file fresh stone yeah liquid wax and you'll be golden and okay. tune your skis often you'll be happy even for the even for kids like it it, it does help and once you learn to do it correctly, it doesn't take that long. No, it should not. It, it could take like take 25 minutes. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. 15, 20 minutes, you should be, you should be good to go. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're on to story time now, but. What's the, what's like the, like, what's your kind of go-to story when you look back on your, t your, your years and years of being a World Cup technician, like a crazy story or a really impressive result or yeah Oof. i don't know i uh, probably our best interview ever together was uh <laughs> after world championships last year and we won the team parallel yeah there's, there's video that magnus has it i think yeah we, and you two a, got interviewed we did a live interview on swedish tv at the top right after that happened <laughs> prior to me knowing about paula shattering her hand 
<laughs> so I was on cloud nine for a few minutes there. And you guys, you, like your team won the world championships gold medal. Yeah. Like oh, that must was, have been amazing. It was amazing. Was it Paula and AJ racing? Paula, Paula and Nina. Nina. Yeah, so Paula both and Nina. of your athletes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paula and, and you guys Nina. won world championships yeah. gold. Yeah, Paula, like Paula had to win, had to beat whoever she was, Taya maybe she was against. She had to beat Taya. And then Tommy, there was one more to go. And then we were like, whoa, did that really happen? Yeah, that was pretty fun. And you, that whole interview, I looked like a, like a 10 year old going to Disneyland for the first time. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was good. That was good. I have to say last Sunday was pretty amazing too. You and when AJ, AJ got there. Into third, wow. It's the first party. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Uh-huh. And those are kind of the moments you live for, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whenever they do well. It's, yeah. I get 10 times more satisfaction out of one of our athletes skiing well than I ever had of myself doing well. That's cool. I get more, mer- more nervous too, but I'm good at hiding it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, well, that will kind of wrap us up here. Um, I always give a chance at the end to shout somebody out or... Like, I don't know if you have sponsors need to shout out or people or anything like that, but the floor is yours. Shout out to Snow Valley Indoor Training Center. There you go. <laughs> the best indoor in summer. Book your training now. <laughs> yeah, book it now. It's going to fill up quickly. It always yeah, does. We're accepting, we're accepting now. Okay. We have bookings already, so be fast. There we go. Also, I know a guy that can get you first link. There we go. Oh, and if you want to train with Jimmy Krupka, you know the other guy to ask. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Shout out to Todd Carroll for me. Yeah. Getting me into tuning. Is he still for working sure. at Winter's Tiger? Still working at Winter's Tiger. Yeah. yeah. Just got me some fresh rubber bands a couple weeks ago. Nice. Green rubber bands. My signature out. look. One more shout out. I got a shout out to Magnus Anderson for uh, hiring me six year, six and a half years ago. Yeah. Nah, because of him, I'm I'm able to do this. And shout out to my dad, still yeah. running Snow Valley, 74 years old. So there we go. Yeah, that's all the shout outs. Shout out to AJ for killing it on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to Ryan for putting up with my shit every day in his ski room. <laughs> shout out for my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to your daughter. Yeah, shout out to my daughter, who's uh, who's probably gonna be the next Michaela Schiffrin one day. <laughs> she'll never she'll never ski oh really no you know why you know how you become a millionaire while ski racing stop ski racing no start up with a billion <laughs> <laughs> got any more shout outs right i think that's all okay I, I can't top that that wraps us up <laughs>
so sparsely attended to. So I'm trying to do my part here to help people remember. The article that I have pulled up right now is on SkiRacing.com and was written by Rick Bashand. And as usual, I'll do a little paraphrasing and some direct reading. So for the kids out there to set the scene here, the only way to watch the Olympics was on TV. So you had to know when the broadcast was. There was no pause button. You were fully locked in. And Rick writes, I remember my excitement back then, sitting in my college dorm room with my roommate in front of our 12-inch portable black-and-white TV, watching ABC's broadcast of the games. Because of the time difference between the U.S. and Sarajevo, the only difficulty was avoiding learning the event's outcome before they were aired on primetime in the evening. Now, the Alpine ski races were held about an hour's drive from Sarajevo, and it was just downhill GS and slalom in those days. Combined and Super G were added at the next Olympics um, in 88. So to start off, the Olympics opened with the worst, the biggest winter storm in Europe in 50 years. It just kept snowing. But ultimately, they cleared all the tracks, and the weather improved, and the GS was first. The American women went one, two, and four in the GS. Deb Armstrong and Kristen Cooper grabbed gold and silver, respectively. And Tamara McKinney was in fourth. She won the second run. And if you're a longtime citizen of Arc City, you'll remember that I did an episode with Tamara. Really great episode. She was the first American woman, woman to win the overall title and the only one aside from Lindsay and Michaela to ever do it. So she's very cool. And going one, two, and four in the Olympics is pretty awesome. Now, no American male had won an Olympic gold medal in alpine skiing up to this point. But of course, that changed at the 84 Olympics. The downhill course was, according to Doug Lewis, quote, not the toughest or most challenging course in the world, but it had sections of big turns and fast speeds with a long gliding section. So first time Olympian Bill Johnson won the thing and solidified himself in the, the upper echelons of American downhiller history. Now, the final Alpine event of the games was on the last day of the games. It was the slalom for the men. Steve Mayer won the first run by a whopping 0.67 ahead of a Swedish man, Jonas Nielsen, and 0.7 seconds ahead of his brother, Phil. And he knew he had to send it second run. He knew that Olympic golds were not won by one good run and one bad run. Unfortunately, he made some mistakes in the beginning. His, his brother, Phil, had had an awesome run was sitting at the bottom in first place. Steve is coming down, makes some mistakes, but he pulls himself together, makes the time back up, comes down, grabs a silver medal. Phil and Steve go one and two, another epic outing by the American team. Steve says, quote, had I not been going out 100%, I probably wouldn't have been as competitive as I was. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because you go there and you have a day when everything goes right and you don't feel you did anything different, end quote. I 100% feel that, and I'm sure every ski racer out there knows the feeling of sometimes it's just your day, and it's <laughs> all you can do is sit back and enjoy it. Now, all of the American ski racers talk about how the medal winners at the 84 Olympics were completely mobbed by reporters after the race. And you have to remember 
those that lived the 80s and those that didn't, including me. <laughs> this is just from my research. The 80s were a golden era for alpine skiing. It wasn't the sport wasn't yet competing with slope style and half pipe to be the coolest event on skis. Ski racing was the coolest event on skis. So that's just a fun thing to remember. Now, it wasn't always easy to watch ski racing on TV in the U.S. during those times, just the regular World Cup. <laughs> Not much has really changed today. Um, so the Olympics were a big, big deal. The historic performance of the American skiers at the 84 Olympics was likely watched by a whole generation of young skiers who just sat there, you know, no pause button, glued to the TV, watching the games unfold. And lastly, for those out there who don't know, Sarajevo was in the former Yugoslavia, which was a country that consisted of Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Montenegro, Serbia, and Macedonia. And it split up a few years after the Olympics were held in a, a series of really bloody conflicts. Now, Deb Armstrong remembers, quote, Sarajevo rolled out the red carpet to the world in the opening ceremonies, Serbs, Muslims, and Croats, all dancing in full color and arm in arm, end quote. Kristen Cooper reflected, quote, I think if you look beneath the surface, tensions were bubbling, but the Olympics always brings out the best in society and in the communities that host the games. We saw the best of that multi-ethnic city. It was heartbreaking for all of us to see what happened later, end quote. So, <laughs> sorry to end that story on a sadder note. But I do think it's important to mention all of the history around it. I hope all of you that lived it got to relive it. And those that don't know about American ski racing history learned a story and learned some names like Deb Armstrong, Kristen Cooper, Tamara McKinney, Bill Johnson, Phil and Steve Mayer, the young downhiller Doug Lewis, who would go on the next year to win a world championships medal. So with that... We are at the end of the episode. I've got two more interviews already recorded in the bank, so hopefully I can get them published relatively soon. Until next time, don't forget to subscribe or tell your friends to subscribe. Carve some deep arcs and be friendly to the strangers on the chairlift. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and thank you for visiting Arc City.